imagine my other walls and stories helped me escape the abuse while I was living with abuse. So, of course, I had to protect those stories just like they protected me. So I kept them, them hidden until they were safe to express. Hi there, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Hecate, and this is Finding Okay, a healing podcast for survivors of sexual assault and any and all abuse. Today, I'm joined by Obelis. Obelis is a Lithuanian fantasy and LGBTQ plus comic artist. Her work includes War and Tea, Meow Are You, and The Recloseted Lesbian. In The Recloseted Lesbian especially, she deconstructs and processes traumatic memories from her abusive childhood. She tried coming out as a lesbian, but was forced back into the closet by her ultra-religious, homophobic, and abusive mother. It has been read by over 21 million people, and that's just on Webtoon. As she does her own trauma work, she is helping other survivors feel less alone. And now it's time for... Trigger and content warnings for this episode include the following. Trauma, abuse, child abuse, PTSD, suicide, religious abuse, medical abuse, institutionalization, and homophobia. Please check in with yourself and make sure you're all right to continue. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I would like to start by asking, are you okay? Uh, Well, in general, I'm pretty okay these days, but right now I am not okay because I am worried about money a little bit. I have a Mm. bit too much work right now, so I'm not exactly okay, but it's nothing too much. Mm. I hope that clears up soon. Yeah, money stuff (laughs) is pretty stressful. I thought I had seen that you were looking to move as well. Has has that materialized for you, the, the new apartment? Or? Uh, yes, I am buying an apartment next year. I am moving next year. But with inflation like this, it gets me worried if I will be able to mm-hmm. do what I want. Yeah. Yeah, things are not great where I am either. But I've... My partner and I have been uh, living with a relative for, uh, I think, about like five years now, and we we just can't afford rent in the place that he works. Yeah, that's it's pretty bad. So I hope that everything improves for everyone everywhere. It's a big ask, but it, that's what I ask. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I would love to hear a compliment that you've received that you've never forgotten. So it's not directly a compliment to me, but I liked when someone complimented a character I created because I rarely create male characters, but someone said that they would like that more men were more like my male character. And I felt so proud as a writer Mm. and that comment really stuck to me. (laughs) That's wonderful. That is a compliment to you. Yeah. I mean, all your all your characters are a part of you, and and mm. yeah, and you give them life. So that's that's a beautiful compliment. And I would love to know what is your favorite color or color combination, and what do you associate with it? It changes every day. Yesterday it was uh, pink and green because I saw a pretty apartment layout on Pinterest in those colors. Today, it's yellow, orange, and white because I created, I designed a beautiful outfit today for a character. Mm. And that color combination, mm, very good. Which comic strip was was it for? Oh, it was for warranty. Warranty, gotcha. And um, if I had to summon you in a ritual what five things would i need to place as offerings at each point of the pentacle on the floor to summon me today first of all it would have to be a wallet with plenty of money (laughs) (laughs) then it would have to be a jug of water i would need a drawing tablet too that makes three a laptop 
and also a pretty, pretty picture full of flowers. Hmm. Do you have a preference for the flowers? Mm, honestly, just wildflowers. Those mm. are prettier to me than the domesticated species. Nice. And I would love to hear three essentials to your self-care. These days, it's having my own space. Uh, then being able to draw that I need to draw to stay sane. And I've been needing some caffeine pills. Mm. That, that has been self-care for me. <laughs> how, how do you usually take your caffeine? Is that like coffee or tea or anything? Oh, no. It's just plain pills. I don't like ca- coffee and I don't like green tea. Mm. <laughs> so it's just pills. I've I've never tried that. I'm usually I I didn't used to like green tea either, and then I found like a blend with a white tea that made it less bitter for me. And I've been trying that recently. It's been nice. That sounds nice. Yeah, but I'm not a big fan of the taste of coffee either. But that I actually started started drinking it for the first time. But I'm one of those people that pours a bunch of other stuff in it to make it taste less like coffee. So. Yeah, but it's keeping me going, gets me up in the morning and keeps me moving through the day. That's what matters. It does. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love if you could tell me a little bit about who you are and, uh, and some of the comics that you create. Uh, so I am a Billis and I am a comic artist and I create, uh, well, web comics and at the time I have three ongoing series uh, one is about uh, LGBT issues and childhood abuse. That is called the Recloda Setted Lesbian. It's an autobiography. Another is also an autobiography. It's called Now Are You, but it's more on the comedy side. And I also create a fantasy romance series called Warranty, which is the most time-consuming and also the one that attracts the least readers. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah, people prefer to to read about my life than about my characters, which is surprising because <laughs> I thought it would be the opposite. I I haven't read Warranty yet, actually. Um, I I just got completely sucked into Recloseted Lesbian and Meow Are You. <laughs> yes, that that seems most people's experience. <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain? The meaning of the title, Recloseted Lesbian? Well, basically, I came out of the closet when I was 18, but my, uh, concretely, my mother's reaction was so bad that I went back into the closet, but it was only going back to the closet for my family. Because Mm -hmm. once I came out of the closet to my friends, I stayed, but to my family, I became recloseted. And right now, I don't know. We haven't really ever talked about that again (laughs) properly. That strip deals a lot with LGBTQ issues and also the childhood abuse. Are you comfortable sharing a little bit about your story or some of the things that you are processing in that comic strip? Mm, Yes, I mean, that's what I do by drawing, but I also talk about it. Uh, So, yeah. I basically, I have PTSD and I have a lot of flashbacks and I, those flashbacks center around the abuse I experienced through my childhood. And every time I draw a flashback, it stops uh, returning. Hmm. I didn't fully understand that. I I thought of it in terms of you processing memories, but I I just didn't think of it in terms of drawing flashbacks. And I've never tried that. I I didn't even realize it was working that way. It actually took me over a year to realize that what I drew no longer came back to me in that way. Wow. How how long ago did you start uh, drawing the flashbacks? Oh... Well, in the form that I draw the comic right now, it was uh, uh, June 2020 when I started. So Mm. it's been over two years. 
Can I ask uh, when and how did you realize that the way your parents treated you was abuse? Oh, it was a long process, and I really don't have one moment when I knew it was it was happening. I know that ever since I remember myself, when my first memory was when I wanted to jump out of a window and die rather than keep being treated like they treated me. I think even back then in my very first memory, I knew that what was happening wasn't all right. But everyone told me that it was all right. And, you know, mm. when you are born into family, whatever you are bor- born into, you perceive it as the normal, as the default. Yeah. So, like, I knew that what was happening was hurting me and I was not all right with that. But it actually took me a few years after moving out of my parents' home and I finally accepted to label it as abuse. I think I needed some distance from them in time and space to finally accept that abuse was abuse and it was not normal. I'm glad you realized that. (laughs) Me too. It is a really long process. I can really... How did you manage to to exit the situation of of living with your family? Oh, well, it was because uh, I went to university. I attended multiple universities, never finished university. But anyway, I went to university that was in a city far away from my parents. And that was uh, a good excuse to escape them. Mm-hmm. And can I ask... I, I know that for me, when I when I went to university, I started having uh, a lot of trouble with PTSD and also being neurodivergent and trying to navigate the educational system. Uh, did you did you struggle with PTSD kind of coming up for you at university? Oh, yes, absolutely. Right after moving out uh, the first I think, year or two. After moving out, it was the worst because that was when I was just starting to process all the trauma. My body only then started having PTSD responses as it was mutant them while I was living with my parents. So the first year or two, I didn't know what was happening, didn't know what what to label it, but I knew that something wrong was happening with me. Yeah, that was very hard. I ended up dropping out multiple times. I did that too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It ended up taking me like 10 years to get my degree and mostly because of PTSD. (laughs) Congratulations. I'm probably never getting a degree. I I have given up at this point. It's wild exiting abusive situations and going to university and and having that PTSD pop up because yeah your your body kind of and and your mind kind of wait until like it's uh you know safe to process things and it's like ah now we can get to this and it's like well I'm trying to do stuff (laughs) it's difficult (laughs) am I correct in in saying that you've gone no contact with your with your mother? Mm, well, yes, it is no contact as much as it can be while I still communicate with my sister. Mm. Because I still communicate with someone who is in contact with my mom. So we don't have direct contact anymore. Okay. Uh, and really going no contact... Once again, it wasn't any big moment. I just withdrew over the years a little more and a little more, stopping calling and stopping to reply, uh, replying in longer and longer intervals in between. And yeah, I didn't even notice when I completely stopped any contact with her. There wasn't, you know, any big speech. Mm-hmm. It happened very gradually, and I'm glad it happened gradually. I think it was easier for me this way than to have it as one big moment where I say, I am going to no contact with you. Mm-hmm. How has that been for you? How has that changed your, your life? Oh, it is much better. It is much better. Like, I miss my hometown as a place. 
but people there have never really been kind to me. So, you know, it's actually a good excuse to not have to go there when I say, well, you know, I miss my hometown, but I am no contact with my mother. So it's a relief. And I I already forgot what her face looks like. And that's, that's, that's a really nice thing to me, actually. Wow. Wow, I can't wait for that to happen with some of the people that I, that have hurt me in my life. I can't wait for their faces to get all fuzzy. Oh. And to the people you mentioned that there was um that there was bullying at school is is that a part of the the hometown issues? Yes, it is a big part of my hometown issues. My hometown is small and pretty much everyone knows everyone. Mm-hmm. So when you are bullied, everyone knows that you are bullied and you are automatically marked as the other, as the unacceptable person. I also had experiences like that. <laughs> <laughs> I I grew up in a very small town as well. And uh, yeah, and, and unfortunately, uh, some of the things went on spread to other towns as well. So there were people from the next town that's towns over that, that knew my name. It was not good. <laughs> so I am. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not good. So um, I am only just starting to, to really fully distance myself from that hometown. I think um, social media and like being on Facebook um, and, and, having people from my school still have even just uh even just a peripheral access to me and my life for like it it just kind of I didn't even realize it but it it, it felt like they were still looking over my shoulder and so when I finally just within the last um couple years stopped interacting with with my high school Facebook gosh the relief I felt the freedom I felt I, was really surprising to me, and it and uh, and it saddens me as well because I realized how how attached to these people I still like how how much they were still affecting me, um, or how much I was allowing them to still affect me. Uh, so I'm I'm very glad to be getting some distance, but um, I would love to ask about creativity and what role it plays in your life and in your healing? Well, creativity, like drawing comics as an autistic person, drawing my own comics is my special interest, the special interest of mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I really enjoy it. And it's something that I I need to do in order to be okay and in order to be happy. And I have been an artist and a writer pretty much all of my life though throughout my childhood and my teenage years most of the stories that I created remained in my head because it wasn't safe to put on paper around my parents since they would pretty much mock everything I created so I really started to put my stories into writing and into drawing after I moved out, so around 20, 19 years old. Wow. That's incredible, the resilience to to keep it all in your head and to keep that love and that passion for art and to to keep it all inside and then wait till it till it was safe and to not to not all be discouraged or have it stamped out of you during childhood. That's incredible. Yes. Uh, well art helped me imagination more like imagining my other walls and stories helped me escape the abuse while I was living with abuse so of course I had to protect those stories just like they protected me so I kept them them hidden until they were safe to express I also had worlds that I escaped to so I I very much (laughs) really oh as far as comics or this this passion for comics um growing up were you reading a lot of comics or how how did that happen oh no 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 comics were a big no no in our house 
our mom was very much against comics. My brother would sometimes buy Donald Duck comics for children. And my mom very much hated that he read them and she would just uh, gather up the two of us because back then our sisters weren't born yet. So she would gather up the two of us and say, what do you get from reading comics? What do you learn? You don't learn anything. Read real books. She's mm. a literature teacher, so oh, <laughs> that okay. might have been a part of her prejudice. So yeah, I didn't really read comics growing up. Uh, as a late teen, I started reading manga on my computer on those websites where it was free. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and uh, well, I no, I only started reading comics uh, after I started drawing them because I had stories in my head and I drew illustrations for them. But people weren't really interested in illustrations. Then I tried uh, to instead express my stories in writing. And once again, people weren't really interested in writing the people online. But when I started combining writing and drawing and I turned it into comics, when I put my stories into the format of the comics, suddenly people were interested. And I liked when people were interested in my stories. (laughs) So I stayed with the comics, and I found out that they are very pleasant to make. I'm so glad. And only after I started reading them (laughs) to realize what a comic is actually supposed to look like, because my first comic, it looked very much not like a comic. It was illustrations, and it was words, but it was not what people perceive as comic. (laughs) Like the, the formatting was different? Yes, the formatting was different. I was doing mm. uh, horizontal pages. Okay. So, yeah. Since you weren't allowed to pursue art growing up, how have you been practicing or learning during this time? Well, it's not that I wasn't allowed to study art. They actually sent me to art school, but they only approved of my art that was, you know, still alive or landscapes things Mm. like that classical gotcha yeah so classical art but not something that came from my own head Mm. that was bad so i attended art school growing up gotcha and i'd i'd like to ask um your experience with therapy you've talked a little bit about that in uh in some of your strips and therapy is a big part of a lot of people's healing, but it isn't uh, It isn't always accessible to some people and some people just don't find it helpful and some people have bad experiences. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if, uh, if, if you're comfortable talking about what your experiences with therapy have been. Uh, generally, the quality of mental health care in Lithuania is not exactly good. So people who got their degrees back back in the Soviet times when when they were learning very wrong things, those people are still in work and, you know, they don't really even diagnose you with anything. I went to a psychiatrist and they told me that they only diagnose people with depression and nothing else. I, mm. they, they, don't, they don't do testing for anything else. Just depression. That's it. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. And then for a therapy specifically, well, I was once accused when I said that I still have bad memories from being bullied. The old woman who was my therapist said, got offended. So you think I'm going to bully you? And that's, so yeah, that pretty much sums up most of the therapists I've had. There have oh. been a few nicer ones. But they either are rude, or if they aren't rude, then they are usually homophobic. So mm. <laughs> it's hard here. It's hard yeah. over here. So and and when a therapist is homophobic, um, it it sounded like in some of the some of the strips uh, that I read, like that they were thinking of 
being gay as a mental illness, basically. <laughs> yeah, or something caused by uh, asthma inhalers. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's, 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 that's special. Nobody in my family has asthma, so I have no idea where she got that from. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's okay. So that's extra. Um, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's on par with, um, with some of the, the homophobic rhetoric in the USA involves like people talking about like stuff in the water that's making frogs gay or just just all this all this silliness um uh that some people take very very seriously uh and are really excited to make it your problem mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in recent strips you've shared your experience with institutionalized abuse so in in the hospital Um, Are you comfortable talking about that a little bit? Yes, I am. That is actually considered one of the most prestigious, if not the most prestigious hospitals in Lithuania. So Mm. you can see what the state of our mental health care is. Yeah, we basically had a doctor uh, and my cellmate was a mother of twins who had uh, postpartum depression and she had attempted suicide. And that uh, doctor... I think most Lithuanians who have been to that hospital will recognize what this personality is, but he told her to kill herself when she leaves hospital because uh, her children don't need a mother who would leave them. And that pretty much sums up how patients are treated there in that very prestigious hospital. Yeah, that's pretty evil. Yeah, your um, your recollections from your stay there were pretty alarming. Mm -hmm. I have even more that I'm planning to share my my later comics, though I'm trying to space them out so that my readers don't get overwhelmed with so many stories at once. Mm. I try to even some more lighter stories in between these very heavy and dark strips. It's it's always tricky. talking about trauma stuff (laughs) yeah i also spent time uh very briefly in an institution for self-harm and suicidal ideation and uh can can i ask what brought you there oh so uh back then i had been stuck uh, with an abusive partner who was my abusive ex-partner at that point but still insisted that I give her all of the partner privileges Mm. and basically she like she acted like I was completely unnecessary in this world but also didn't let me go and Mm. it got to the point where it seemed that death was the only escape from her and it also coincided with the fact that I was prescribed schizophrenia meds when I had no schizophrenia. I don't know how to pronounce it in English. But anyway, mm-hmm. I had those unnecessary meds. I had I need to escape an abuser. So I took too many meds. And well, I ended up in that place that harms its patients while claiming to help them. Yeah, medication for schizophrenia when you don't have it is pretty serious uh that would mess you up pretty significantly Mm -hmm. i had a when when i had just exited the hospital and i was in an outpatient program uh and they had just newly diagnosed me incorrectly uh, with something and they were trying to figure out what what meds to put me on they experimented and there's i can understand a certain amount of experimentation because it is it is trial and error trying to figure out what works or what doesn't work. I get that, but uh, but basically the the doctor uh, at that time said, uh, "Well, we're not sure if you are psychotic. So in order to figure out if you are psychotic, we're going to put you on the medication that we would give somebody if they were psychotic." Oh. and uh, and so they just to see what would happen, put me on 
the heaviest medication I have ever been on in my life. And I, I, I can't even remember how long they had me take it because it hit me so horribly. Um, I, I think the first dose of it, I think I slept for 21 hours. I was completely unrousable. I was completely unconscious. And then when I woke up for the matter of days that uh, days or maybe a week, I, I can't remember how long I was on this med, I experienced a complete lack of morality, uh, a complete lack of of empathy. I felt completely disconnected from everything that made me who I was or made me human. And I all of a sudden i I had no connection to uh, like no, no feelings of, of right or wrong. Uh, and so I remember like, I, I felt like a complete zombie, completely numb. And I, I remember standing, I think in like a line at the checkout. And I just remember standing there and thinking like, oh, I could steal this if I wanted to, that's an option. And, and, and felt nothing in response and was like, but I remember I'm against that. So I won't, or, you know, had the thought of um, like, oh, I could kill this person, but I won't because I remember I am against that, but had no feeling in response to that thought. And that's not, that's not a thought I ever have, <laughs> like just going about my day. So, so just to have no feelings, no morality, no connection to it. And thankfully was able to, the next time I went in, say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. They were like, oh, we'll just take you off that med. That sounds not good. So I guess you're not psychotic. And it was like, cool. I'm so glad that we all shared this experience. Uh, but I will say I took the brunt of it. Um, and yeah, but it it occurred to me years later that I was able to, I'm I'm a very articulate person. I'm very self-aware. I'm able to to analyze like my own experiences and then communicate them um, very clearly. That's not something that everyone can do, and especially not everyone who is struggling with mental health issues. And so it occurred to me years later that had I not been a very communicative person or a very self-aware person, I wouldn't have been able to communicate how I was feeling and how that medication was affecting me, I could have ended up on that medication for years. It made me realize like how this happens to people that doctors will just experiment and be like, oh, we'll just put you on this to see what happens. And then a person will lose like years of their life being on something that is hurting them. And yeah, it, it was just deeply upsetting, but yeah. How did you get out of the institution well it took about a week and i made it pretty clear to the doctor that if they keep me any longer i will take legal cons- legal actions so I think that was the determining factor though well i think yeah that was it because that doctor he very much um, enjoyed telling me well you have angered me so i will keep you for this and this many more days and if you anger me again i will keep you here until easter mm. yeah so. from some of the things that you've said it very much sounds like he's a person that likes to hurt people pretty typical lithuanian psychiatrist though i think he is the worst among them all i'm so sorry you ended up having to deal with him at all ever well, I am sorry too that he was there and that he got that job and he is still in that job, I think. You mentioned that he was kind of a celebrated doctor. Oh, he is. He is. People act like they respect, but like they respect him, though I think it's fear actually, and they're confusing respect with fear because, due to, you know, he likes to threaten, he likes to shout, he likes to tell people to kill themselves and they can't do nothing against him because, you know, they are patients and since they are in mental hospital, the doctor can say, well, they are mentally unstable, you can't stress their word. Yeah, that's appalling. Yeah. You mentioned that your mother was extremely religious and I was hoping uh, to talk about religious abuse 
Yeah, so yeah, she is religious and religion is the first thing in her life. I am pretty sure that, if she, you know, like there is the whole story in the Bible how I think Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice his son. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, she is that level of religious that if she thought the God required her to kill her children, she might. Luckily, Ooh. she hasn't thought that. But everything in her life, yes, revolves around religion. And it's like it has become an unhealthy obsession. I will label it that. So, yeah. Funnily enough, she married a man who is atheist. And she has been trying to convert him for 30 years almost now and his entire family. And oh, we wow. were, yeah, and she. And we were supposed to act perfect when we were with dad's family because we were supposed to show them, look, if you are religious, then your children will be perfect. And we were supposed to convert them, but it never happened. And yes, you are pretty much not allowed to say anything against religion. You are not allowed to avoid church. Uh, And you are... she. I think she doesn't do with my sisters anymore, but with me and my brother, it was like that she would get very angry if you befriended children whose parents didn't go to church. And in my class, there was only one boy whose parents went to church, and that boy was a bully. So, <laughs> oh, jeez. So yeah, there. That was a tough situation. <laughs> what What kind of church was it? Oh, it was a Catholic church. Okay. Goodness. So because she was a member of the church, did the community tend to look upon her as a very respectable woman? Oh, yes, yes. Absolutely. She, you know, was active. She, when the church needed outfits, she and her, what was that? Her father's sister together sold uh, most of the outfits for the church. So, you know, she was very much respected in the church as an active member, active participant. And she pushed us to participate. I I was uh, assigned a role. There were a few roles that children could take to, in our church. And you... A child would usually read a passage from the Bible and then the priest would explain, I don't know the English word for that, but he would give explanations about that uh, passage. And I was basically the design child for many years. Hmm. And you don't attend church anymore. Um, the I, I think you had mentioned that you're not religious and that you're you're happy to have been able to distance yourself from that. Oh, yes, I haven't set my foot in a church ever since I left my parents, and I am most certainly intending to never set my foot in a church again. Mm. It's nothing against religion in general, but to me, that place is is not good to be in. Mm -hmm. Well, and then um, my understanding is that your country is not friendly towards the queer community, and uh, I mean, church and most countries, uh, you know, re- regardless of of what the laws are, uh, tend to be even less friendly. So that that combination sounds not great. Mm, well, yes, yes. Over seventy, I think it's seventy six percent of Lithuanians who identify as Catholic. So wow, yeah, that's a <laughs> massive percent. Well, yeah, I think I saw the statistics a few years ago last time. It might be lower by now. Mm. Yeah, that would stress me out. (laughs) Catholics don't like me. (laughs) Same. I ask, what have you struggled the most with in healing? The most in healing, I think, is the flashbacks because they they've been returning a lot over the past few years. Mm. You know, it's sometimes very hard to to accept that headspace where flashbacks won't stop coming and won't stop being on the front of my mind. 
that has been hard. And also accepting the fact that I have missed out a big part of my life because instead of having normal human experiences, I'm having to focus on dealing with PTSD and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable talking about what a flashback is to you? Because I know that different people experience them in different ways. Uh, well, to me, it's it feels like I am there again and uh, the events keep happening again. Uh, so I have a fantasia. I don't see stuff with the, my mind's eye, but it's like the sensations are there and it feels like it's replaying again and again and again and that I don't know how to explain because it doesn't happen. It's not something I could express in, in any of my five senses, but it's it's happening. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's happening. Yeah, that makes sense. Like in, in your body, in a sense of time, kind of? Yes. Um, you said that drawing helps. Is there anything else that helps? Screaming. <laughs> I yeah. scream a lot. Yes, I think my neighbors are, are a bit annoyed with me. And they are looking <laughs> forward to when I move out next year. Because, yes, I think it started about two years ago that I realized that screaming is a very effective way to make them go away temporarily. So <laughs> Wow. Good for you. <laughs> oh. Where have you found strength or support? Strength and support. Well, that would be the readers of my comic. Uh, you know, I feel it feels very validating that they actually accept and believe what I say instead of saying that I am making things up. I that mm. it wasn't that bad. Instead, they accept my memories as they are, as I tell them. And that yeah. has been very validating and given me strength. Being actually heard out. And not just uh, told that this didn't happen, it wasn't that bad as people in real life usually would react to that. I would get over it. None of that, but just hearing that, yes, it was bad what you experienced, and I believe you. That has been very validating to hear that from my readers. And it gave me strength. Mm-hmm. And what about support in uh, in your daily life? Would would it be the same answer? Or uh, well, I have a couple of friends who you know believe me and support me. I guess mm-hmm. they are my real life support. How has your autism diagnosis intersected with your healing? Because you mentioned, I think that. Uh, in one of your strips that you didn't have a diagnosis as a child, that it maybe came later in life. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I went through a lot of a lot of trouble to to find it out, to you know, get confirmed. But yes, uh, and uh, it helped me realize that I wasn't really you know malicious child, and that what. People perceived as my evil traits. Those weren't evil traits. Those were things that were just part of autism that I couldn't control. Mm-hmm. And it helped me. Well, it helped me blame myself less and realize that it was all right to be the way I was, that it wasn't something evil that I had to change and that people who didn't like me for that, well, that was their problem, not mine. Yeah, well said. What were some of the traits that people were perceiving to be evil? My sensory issues, especially regarding food. Uh, and also, I cannot describe what it is exactly about me, but I know that there is something that stems from autism that makes bullies automatically mark me as a target because it has happened in multiple places, multiple cities. Mm-hmm. If there is a bully and they are looking for a target, I will be the primary target. Mm. And I have also, from what, what I read, there is something about autism that bullies uh, can 
pinpoint, even though they don't label it as autism, but rather as something that makes a person deserve bullying, as they like to say. So I know that there is something about me that makes people bully me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was the trait that I can't define, but I know is a trait of mine. And it also was making me struggle a lot. I know what you mean. It's like a like a signal that you're that you're sending out, and they yeah. have some special receptor. They just know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so I'd I'd love to talk about queer joy, finding happiness or joy in, as an LGBTQ person uh, in this world, uh, which is sometimes unfriendly. <laughs> to us uh, happiness uh, I don't know about the happiness because well I suppose that being uh, queer lets me be sure that I don't need to deal with a man in my life <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds bad no it that, doesn't <laughs> that, that is what, <laughs> an advantage of being queer. <laughs> but now that I think about it, in my real life, there are really no men in my life. Everyone is either a woman or non binary, but there are no men in my real life. <laughs> in my mm. physical space, not a single man. I don't remember the last time I interacted with a man in the real life. Oh, that sounds so refreshing. that has been one of the things that being queer brought me i don't well i guess it's it is sort of an advantage but like not in men hating way just um i don't know how to describe it yeah this is how i end this point as for other advantages you know something positive that being queer brought me I have a good excuse why I'm not having kids because that's not an option in Lithuania for queer couples. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that also has been an advantage. I don't think I have had much joy in being queer since uh, my first relationship happens to be with someone who was abusive and uh, I have really not connected with the local queer community in the physical space since, as I mentioned before, I tend to be a target for bullies. Mm. So I kind of, to be honest, intentionally avoid mingling with people in real life these days because I would rather be on my own than be bullied. I think that I'm gonna, I'm gonna connect with the queer community in the city I am moving to the next year. But in this city, I haven't really connected with anyone. So I am looking forward to that queer joy in my life. I haven't had much joy from that yet, but I think that might come might come in the future. Well, I hope you find it in the new place that you're going and uh, wherever you go, because you deserve it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And um this is this is just kind of like a a funny question but I found myself thinking like I want to know um but I would love to know if you're if you're comfortable sharing uh I want to talk about like first crushes. What was it about your first crush like that drew you to her or was special oh. about her? that you remember like and stands out in your memory is like wow my first crush this is the thing i knew i was attracted to women years before i got my first crush i got my first crush when i was i think 16 but i knew i was attracted to women oh i don't know when i was still small a child in elementary so uh, my first crush was a classmate who was in love with our straight friend, and that straight friend always had a boyfriend. So, like, my first crush was gay, but she was in love with a straight girl. Oh, no. <laughs> the straight girl curse still befell me, but indirectly. <laughs> it is a curse. <laughs> and can I ask, like, what it was about her? Yeah. 
Oh, well, I don't, she was, you know, now that I think back on it, I think I probably got a crush on her because she said that she was a lesbian. I, I was automatic. So I got a chance with her and that's how <laughs> my first started. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you're, you're available. That's attractive. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. You're an option. I love options. <laughs> Nice. There is a chance. <laughs> so I have been getting readers asking me a lot uh, if they should come out. I get these DMs weekly, and mm. yeah, this is the thing I don't know. Uh, and to these readers, I want to say that you should only come out if you know you will be safe, because it's safe, safety over everything, in my head, of course. Mm-hmm. Some people may prefer to be known while at risk, but I think uh, that it's best to be financially independent from your parents if you don't know that they will support you. So, yeah. <sighs> yeah. We have a big problem in my country with uh, with a lot of homeless youth being LGBTQ kids that have been thrown out of their homes. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. And then there are a bunch of um, homeless shelters that won't let you in if you're gay. Um, specifically, one of one of the most famous... Um, you know, charity places in, in my country is uh, Salvation Army. And uh, and every year, and it's it's uh, it's getting to that time of year again, uh, before before the holidays, before Christmas specifically, they have um, the, the red Santas outside shops and on every street corner dressed up like Santa Claus and with a bell, ringing a bell. And there's a little red bucket uh, collecting donations for Salvation Army. And everyone is used to just giving them money and giving them money. Uh, they don't think about it. They think, oh, this this place is, you know, they they do such good. They're so good. And mm-hmm. uh, they're quite evil. Um, they hate they hate the queer community. Uh, they throw gay and trans people out on the streets in freezing weather to die. You know, they they will bully them and they will uh, you know kick them out. They'll fire them. Um, they they do all these horrible things, um, but I think the the worst thing is um, you know is is locking a door and kicking a, a, a queer person out into the streets to freeze to death, um, and that's that's who they are. That's who that little red bucket is for. So yeah. do not give your money to Santa Claus. Santa Claus, <laughs> that Santa Claus isn't the real Santa Claus. He hates gays. Don't give him money. Just because someone says they're kind doesn't mean they are kind. It's true. It's true. <sighs> wow, I got so mad about the Salvation Army. I completely forgot what we were talking. About. <laughs> I, I, part of it is I, I warn people every year. Um, but we were talking about coming out, and yeah, I, I agree with you. Safety is um should always be the main concern, and um, I think that's really good advice. Making sure that you are financially independent from your parents first if there's even a little bit of doubt that you know that they might not support you yeah. which is terrible to it it boggles the mind to give birth to to bring a life into the world and demand that they be this or that and if they aren't exactly the kind of person that you want them to be that you just um you know, wash your hands of them. That you just say, "Well, you're no child of mine." It's like, no, they are, and they're your your responsibility. And and if you couldn't handle that, your child might grow up to be their own person, which they all do. Uh, you shouldn't have had kids. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I think some people who have kids don't actually want kids. They want the dolls, and they get mad when those kids are kids and not the dolls that they can control and. Make them be whatever they want. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Or want want miniature versions of themselves or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Creepy. 
or to to live the life that they wish they had lived. Mm-hmm, very much. So I I'm trying to remember. Did you mention that once in a strip that you had gone to a gay pride parade or that it had been canceled? I'm trying to remember um, the mm-hmm. pride strip that suddenly popped into my mind. Uh, I have been to multiple prides, two and pride per year starting 2019. So yeah, that would make one, two, three. I have been to four prides by now. I've never been to one in real life. I've only been to an online pride parade mm-hmm. in a game. Did <laughs> 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 um, I play? I've been to a yeah. Guild Wars 2 pride parade. <laughs> Um, I would love to hear about what it was like actually being a pride. Uh, well, there were a lot of people with flags, people with posters, and, you know, we got into a long, long line. And then we walked from one point to the next while shouting. And some people were playing drums. And then the pride ended. most people looking at the pride uh, were actually friendly, though every year we have some some people who try to insult or attack us. Mm. But it's getting lesser every year. And when prides are happening in Vilnius, the capital, they are pretty safe. Though in 2021, uh, it happened in another city, Konas, and their people very much tried to physically attacking us which doesn't happen mm. in Vilnius anymore and mm. there was a lot of police to restrain them some people even lied down in front of our pride so that we couldn't walk through where we were trying to walk they so homophobes lie down on the ground uh, acting as if there were some ma- martyrs saving the city from the gays coming but eventually the police let them away and our pride could continue walking. I'm glad the police took them away. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of police. A lot. And they checked everyone's backs when we got in. But uh, a few people still got attacked. Mm. Well, I'm glad to hear that at least the police are supporting your safety. Our police isn't nearly as bad as in the United States. Our police actually does their job most of the time, at least. (laughs) That was savage and so true. (laughs) It is not good here. Mm, Yes, I I have heard horror stories about your police. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We we keep hearing them every day and... and, uh... It's it's wild for for some reason. Uh, we're we're still as a country and as a culture, like it, it's interesting. Um, different different people's beliefs about police and experiences with police are wildly different. Um, you know, and a lot of that having to do with um, with race or with uh, socioeconomic situations. Um, and so, like, you can depending on who you are, how you've grown up, like. You can, you know, maybe some people believe with their whole hearts that the police are good and the police are there to protect them and that if you are in trouble, you should just dial 911 and the police will come to the rescue. And then there are, you know, plenty of people that have the exact opposite experience and would never dial 911 in an emergency because in their experience, police make everything so much worse. And uh yeah, and you know, quite quite a few people in, in the queer community um, you know, are are counted among that number. <sighs> and I've yeah, heard some horror stories from from black friends and from queer friends as well. Yeah, it is it is an ongoing struggle in, in this country to to get everyone to understand that this is not actually helping. And that maybe our white supremacist police force shouldn't have military tanks. I don't know why we thought that was a good idea. Thanks for police. <laughs> exactly. The bullies. That's that's the job they get. It's the bullies. 
and we gave them tanks. <laughs> so that happened. Uh, but um, but yeah, I I hope someday to go to Pride because like being yeah, just like marching next to other people from my community sounds so wonderful. You see a lot of beautiful people. All the most beautiful people <gasps> gather there. Oh my gosh, you're right. I'll look at the pictures sometimes and I'll be like, oh, oh. And I saw one of this um, beautiful, beautiful person um, and somebody gave them a rainbow dress and the train of the dress, like the back of the dress, it was so long. I think it, I don't know how long it was, but it trained like all the way down the street. And so they were walking and it was like, flowing behind them like this beautiful long rainbow and it was so magical just i see so many photos and they look so magical oh sounds beautiful mm-hmm. Both bright and you are like is this fashion an inspiration or am i attracted to them why can't i stop looking <laughs> do i like this because it's art reference or <laughs> am i crushing on you right now I'd like to ask if there's anything that you would like to say to other survivors. I'd like to say to other survivors, I think it's important that you tell your story and that you don't keep it unknown. When people Mm -hmm. know your story, it helps you heal. And also gets you access to support. I would like to tell everyone that it's really important to make your story known. Has creating these comics helped you kind of take ownership of your own story? A lot. A lot. Thank you so, so much for joining me and for speaking with me. I reached out to you with, um, like, you were a dream interview that um I had no expectation that I would even get a reply and uh and so it just blew my mind when you agreed to to come speak with me so thank you so much this is just an absolute dream come true and um and I'm a huge fan and managed to make it this far without fangirling so But I didn't I didn't do the squee noise, so you know, you're welcome. <laughs> I still can't believe that there are people who actually feel that way about my comments. So many people. <laughs> so many people. Yeah. No, it means it means the world and it it makes such a difference reading your comics. As you as you claim ownership of your story, I think it's helping so many people take ownership of their own stories and like learn how to it it's hard when when you have trauma in your life to to figure out how to own your own story and when you see somebody else doing that when you see somebody else doing their own work and processing things it helps you it helps kind of create a roadmap for you it shows you the way and it's it's great to hear somebody just talking about it but to have it happen so visually too to actually be able to read and see it happening for you and I love hearing how important actually drawing the strip is to you that it's you drawing your flashbacks and kind of exercising you know those those trauma demons um and uh that's incredible and so sharing that with everybody is so important and I think it's changing a lot of lives so thank you thank you for for the work that you're doing and uh and sharing that with all of us yeah Thanks for uh, inviting me. I really didn't think anyone would ever. <laughs> I have been listening to this podcast and it's really impressive what work you do. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I wondered if that was you. It was um I I get updates on like, oh, uh it'll it'll tell me if I'm charting in a, like various countries like oh like here's here's uh who's listening in various countries and I've been charting in Lithuania and I was like I feel like that was Obelis at like and I think it's just her listening but but it's been enough to show up on charts so like I think you might be the, the sole person responsible for me charting in Lithuania <laughs>
I mean, I do listen a lot when I draw, so. <laughs> uh, you charge you when I draw. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been really fun, like, seeing that pop up on my feed, and I'm like, oh, like, and now I know that. Now if I see that, I'm like, oh, Belise is drawing. <laughs> That's so sweet. Oh, I love that. <laughs> And thank you. And thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Please check episode notes. There you will find links to Obelis' social media, her Patreon, and her beautiful comics. I'm a huge fan, and I highly suggest checking them out. A huge shout-out to my Patreon members, who make everything possible. Sadanka, Emerald, Kathleen, Betty, Sharanya, Ashley, and Christopher. You all mean so much to me, and none of this would be possible without you. I am currently fundraising to afford a Descript subscription in order to make Finding OK more accessible to the deaf, hearing-impaired, and neurodivergent communities by providing transcripts for episodes. This is the next big step for Finding OK, and it will help me reach more survivors who are seeking support any and all help is appreciated. We are now only $45 away from reaching the goal, and anyone that contributes will be thanked in the end-of-season thank-you episode. Become a Patreon member at various tiers to support the podcast and gain access to bonus picks, audio, sneak peeks, and occasional early access and video episodes. Make sure to follow me on YouTube because episodes from previous seasons are starting to become available. You can stay updated by following me on Instagram, and you can find me live streaming on Twitch, where I play chill games, paint, do ASMR, tattoo, edit the podcast live, and do occasional Finding OK Q&A streams, where you can ask me anything. It's honestly the best way to get to know me and connect on a more personal level. I hope to see you there. Please visit the podcast website, www.finding-ok.com. It's where you can find all the links to my social media. It's where you can learn more about me and all my guests. It's where you can read reviews, leave reviews, contact me. It's also where you can find links to donate. Did you know you can leave me a voice message on my website? Leave one in the next month, and it could be chosen to be played in the end-of-season thank-you episode. It's a great way to ask listener questions, share what the podcast means to you, thank one of my guests, or let me know which is your favorite episode and why. I hope to hear from you. There's nothing like actually hearing your voices. It honestly makes me cry. Finding OK is crowdfunded. It is listener support that is keeping the podcast alive. If you can't afford to donate or become a member on Patreon, one of the best ways you can support the show is by reviewing and sharing online or by word of mouth. Thank you again for listening. This has been Finding OK. Black Lives Matter. Take care of yourself. Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. Keep on loving. Keep on pointing. And hold on. And hold on. Hold on for your life. For your life. For your life. Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. Keep on loving. Keep on fighting. And hold on. And hold on. Hold on for your life. Let me see, let me see the comments.